It's, it's good to be with all of you in a hope that you're all doing well, not just physically, but spiritually. And if you feel like you're not doing well spiritually, that's not okay. It's okay, but it's not okay because you don't want to stay there. So hopefully, uh, I just want to encourage you that God picks us all up right where we're at. And he's not like waiting for you to get your life straightened out and then all of a sudden he'll like step in and start blessing you with his presence. You might have screwed up big time this past week. And I'm not excusing mess ups or sin or anything else, but now you're here and you're like, I don't even feel worthy to be here. But God is glad you're here and he loves you and he picks you up right where you're at. And you don't have to fix yourself up. Just come to him. Let him do it. Little girls stood up one time in a Awana thing, and they had this verse, Matthew 8, uh, Matthew 28, um, Matthew 11, verse 28. King James, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Anybody heard that verse? Except she didn't say it quite right. She just said, come unto me, all you who are weary, and heavy laden, and I will do the rest. And that's true, too. So if you're here tonight, just come to Jesus. And uh, if you already, I don't, I'm not saying for the first time, although if you've never met him, yes. But I'm saying wherever you are in your Christian life, he just picks us up where we're at. I'm thankful for that. I'm proof of that. So uh, let's... Um, Pray real quick, and then we're going to look at the Word of God. Father, thank you for your Word tonight. You know the needs of people here way better than I do. And your Word is always living and powerful. And it never returns void. But it prospers and accomplishes the purpose that you send it. So send it tonight into each of our hearts, and especially to the person who's not even sure why they're here, that they would realize why they're here and that your word would meet their need. And you're the only one, Father, that can take your word and through the Holy Spirit have something for everybody. And so we pray for that too. We ask your blessing on each person here and on this time. We ask your help because we need you. And we ask it in the name and for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, it's an honor to be able to bring the word to you tonight. And uh, I forgot that it was Thursday. I'm a day off. I thought it was Wednesday. And my wife says, you know, about oh, 4.35, 4.40. You know it's Thrive tonight, right? You'll be speaking there. And I said, no, this is Wednesday. She said, no, 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 this is Thursday. And I thought about it for a minute. And I said, you're right, it is. So, anyway, um, so I, I uh, made it based, thankfully, with a, a good helper like Karen. Those of you who met her know what I'm talking about. But I want to talk tonight about a little bit from the book of 2 Timothy, and I know that you may have gone through this. Some of you, I know Thrive Kitsap went through this. Okay, so if you're up there, you might have heard. But... You're going to get a verse tonight that you're going to see or hear, and you'll never read it the same again. I promise you. That 
there's a verse that you're going to hear that you'll never look at like you once did. Because my guess is you've read this verse, if you've read through the Bible, a number of times, and it just didn't mean anything to you. You just kind of skipped by it. But you'll see. So that's my teaser for the end. I'm reading from 2 Timothy. Now, 2 Timothy is the last epistle that Paul wrote. And there's always something special about the last words of someone. And he's writing to his son in the faith. In fact, in chapter 2, he starts off and says, Now therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I was talking to somebody about this just before getting up here, and I said, that grace is not saving grace, it's enabling grace. Because the next verse is, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so the cool thing is, is not only does the grace of God reach out to us no matter what we've done in our sin, but no matter what situation we as believers find ourselves in, the grace that enables us to get through that. God never calls us to do anything without giving us the power and the means to do it. Okay? But he says, now, my son. So he is looking at Timothy. Last Sunday was Father's Day as his spiritual son in the faith. We don't know much about Timothy's dad, except the Bible says he was a Greek. We know that his mother and his grandmother had faith, because he mentions that in chapter 1 of this book. He says, I remember the faith that was in your mother, Eunice, and also in your grandmother, Lois, and I'm persuaded, Timothy, that that faith is in you also. Okay? So he's, he, Paul, if we go back in history, in the early part of Acts, or after Paul starts his missionary journeys, uh, Acts 13, so on, from there on, he goes to a place called Lystra and Derby. So you picture yourself, if you've got a spiritual mentor, or someone that you look up to, Paul goes in there, preaches the word, Timothy listens, he's got a Jewish background, but he hears about Jesus, recognizes that he's the Messiah, all the scriptures that his mother and grandmother had taught him, Holy Spirit uses all that to open his eyes that Jesus was indeed the Christ. So he puts his faith in that, and the Bible doesn't say this, but I believe probably Paul baptized Timothy. And now he's got a spiritual mentor, a spiritual father, and he's looking up to him, and then persecution breaks out, and his mentor gets carried out to the outside of the city and stoned and left for dead. How's that for a relationship to start off? If you were dating somebody and he asked you out on a date and you went out on the first date and then the guy got killed in a car accident and left for dead and then, you know, Jesus raised him back up from... I, I mean, it, it would be pretty, pretty impressionable. But that was how Timothy started off. So I doubt that Timothy had this idea that if you just believe in Jesus, you'll be healthy and wealthy and, you know, just prosperity gospel, you know, no trials and problems, not when his spiritual mentor had just been stoned and left for dead. But Timothy grows in his faith, and he becomes a pastor to a number of different churches. Paul would go somewhere and plant, and Timothy would come out after him to a place like Ephesus and stay two years and and do ministry to those people. And now Paul's at the end of his life. And early on in the life of Timothy, or the life of Paul, 
he had been taken up to Rome and put in prison. But he was in, under house arrest, so he's chained up there, but people come and go, and he just witnesses to them all. Philippians talks about that. He says, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me happen for the advance of the gospel. So even though Paul was put in prison, it was all for the advance of the gospel. He said, so much so that even Caesar's household, all of Caesar's household, has heard the message of the gospel. Imagine if you were a guard being chained to Paul for, you know, eight hours, and then the shift comes and it's another guy. How long do you think it would take in that amount of time before Paul witnessed that guy and he got saved? So Timothy then, or Paul is finally released and he goes out and he takes some more missionary journeys. And then at the very end of his life, persecution broke out from uh, Nero because the city of Rome was burned. And Nero, although he was probably involved in one of his drunken parties of starting that fire, blamed the Christians. Paul's taken and put in prison. And history tells us that it was the Mamertine dungeon in Rome. Anybody here been to that dungeon? You can go there. I haven't been there either, so I'm not trying to sound like a know-it-all. But I have friends and people that have. And this is what they tell me, is that if you go there, it's a hole in the ground. And of which they lowered food and water down. It was kind of a dank place because the river ran under the city and you could actually look if you're standing on the floor of that dungeon and see the water running below you. And so it's cold and that may be why Paul is saying the coat that I left at Troas bring with you and especially the, the parchments or the writing scrolls uh, and the books. So Paul wanted some books to study. He wanted parchments to write on so he could write letters to people. He, he knows that his time is short. It's cold. He needs a coat. He's telling Timothy, hurry up and come before winter. And that's the situation that the great apostle Paul, the greatest other than Jesus, he's the greatest preacher, greatest missionary, greatest apostle, greatest evangelist, greatest Bible teacher, greatest pastor, far as I'm concerned, that ever lived. And that guy is now in chains for the sake of the gospel. He's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he's encouraging him about how to live the Christian life in the last days. So the previous chapter, chapter 3, he starts off and it says, In the last days, perilous or difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, and he names all the things, and one of the things he mentions in there is having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From, and he says, from such turn away. Now, this is, this is the killer on this. We look at the world and say, oh, yeah, that's those guys. They're, they, they are the ones that are uh, covetous and boasters and proud, and, and they, they're uh, uh, lovers of themselves. But he's actually talking about the professing church. The world doesn't have a form of godliness but denies the power. These are people who actually profess, well, we follow Jesus, but they really weren't living it. And so Paul's like, don't listen to those guys. Uh, he says, continue thou, King James, thou, okay, in the things that you have learned, NIV, okay, that from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise into salvation 
and through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he reminds them, all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for, or for correction, reproof, instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God or the person of God might be fully fitted for every good work. In other words, this book fits me for any work that God has for me to do. It's profitable for doctrine or teaching. That has to do with what is right. For, correct, uh, for reproof, that has to do with what's not right. For correction, that's how to get right. Instruction and in righteousness, that's how to stay right. So that the man of God might be fully fitted for every good work. So I, I believe that not only is the Bible the inspired word of God, God breathed, but it's also the sufficient word of God. When I was a young preacher uh, serving Jesus in my 20s, I had a lot of books in my library about marriage and family relationships and all kinds of, you know, subjects about stuff, how to be a good dad. And as I got older, most of those books got weeded out of my library. And the books that I had left were books that would help me understand this book better. Because I realized that the Bible is actually sufficient for anything that we might face. So now we come to the chapter that I want to talk about tonight. That's a lengthy introduction, but you've got to see the setting. So after he says that, there's no chapter divisions in the, in the original. So when he says, finishes that, he says, okay, um, let's get it up here. I charge you. This now is the ESV. Somebody asked him, what translation do you have? And they said ESV. So that's good enough, okay? I, I, there's a lot of things I like about different translations. But he says, I charge you in the presence, in the sight of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. Imagine if Paul stood here tonight and looked out over all of you and looked you right in the face and said, what's your name? David. David. He looked at you and said, David, I charge you in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and kingdom, you would say, whoa. I've never had anybody use that much of an introduction to say a couple of words to me. That's one of the strongest charges, exhortation in all scripture. He says, preach the word. And then he says, uh, be urgent in season and out of season. And he goes back to what he said in chapter, verse 16 of the previous chapter. Bible's for teaching, for reproof, rebuke, exhort. Uh, you know. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Because the time's coming, paraphrasing here, where they're not going to put up with sound teaching. But they, who's they? The people will heap to themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. In other words, it's not some preacher who shows up and it's going to wow you with his, you know, charisma and, uh, you know, just really knock your socks off. It's the people actually saying, I don't want Bible teaching anymore. I just want to hear somebody who's going to tickle my ears, that'll tell enough jokes, and he's going to be cool. You know, he's not going to have a little tire around him. His wife's going to be five, seven, blonde hair, skinny-waisted, nice clothes, 
all, you know, he's going to be athletic, all those kind of things, and he's going to say all the things that make me feel good on Sunday morning. I know I'm exaggerating to make a point. All right? <laughs> but it wasn't the fault of the preacher in these verses. It's the fault of the people saying, that's what we want. Like King Saul in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel, God had been their king, and Samuel was leading them as a judge and a prophet, and they said, we want a king to rule over us so we can be like the nations around us. And God says, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. We just want to be like the people around. We sort of want the gospel to be palatable to everybody. We think that if we just make it kind of politically correct and kind of like not so strong in the face of the world, that they might like us. I have news for you. I've lived 67 years and I have been preaching the gospel all my life. I have seen hundreds of people saved. I have planted churches. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you. I've had a little experience under my belt. And I've seen people saved in prisons and on the street and in evangelistic outreaches and people in one-on-one -on -one circumstances. And the world is not looking for a Christian who will be just like them. They are looking for somebody who's different than they are because they're not really happy. Even though they want to pretend, they're not happy. They want to see somebody different because I'm going to tell you what. We as believers march to the beat of a different drummer. And I like to say that any old dead fish can float downstream with the current. But it takes a live fish to swim upstream against the current. Any amens to that? And Jesus is looking for Christians who will go against the current, who will love not the world, neither the things of the world. If any man love the world, First John tells us, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow, that's pretty strong. And so, in fact, he says at one place, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Would you like to overcome the world? This is the victory that overcomes the world. Do I have your attention? This is First John 5. Even your faith. When you walk in confidence, trusting God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights or stars in the universe, Philippians 2 tells us, that's when you're going to be a light. The darker the night, the brighter the light. I just read an article today. You know, people say, oh, well, we're in a post-Christian era. And that's true. But recently, since COVID, there is a spiritual hunger in people around us. I just read this article today. Studies are saying that young adults are more hungry now than they were four years ago or five years ago for spiritual things. They're looking for something and they don't know what. If you try to be, if you've got a guy who's drowning and you jump in the water and pretend you're drowning too, you're probably not going to reach that guy. But if he's drowning out there and you're walking back and forth on the dock, like, it's pretty healthy up here. You might be saying, I want to go where that guy's at. And you stretch your hand out there, he might just take it. But I guarantee you, if you're in the water flailing around, he's probably just going to drag you down with him. So I want to say, beginning, point number one, if you're here, 
and you want to write a couple things down, and I'm just going to go through these real quick. There's four things. It's not, not rocket science. They're just a few words. You can type them on your phone. You can send a text to yourself. I've done that before, okay? Um, the first one is, if you're a young Christian and you want to go against the world, you're living in the last days and you're saying, I want to march to the beat of a drum, different drummer. I want to swim upstream. I recognize that I'm in the world but not of the world, and it's all right for the Christian to be in the world, but it's wrong for the world to be in the Christian, just like it's okay for the ship to be in the ocean, but it's wrong for the ocean to be in the ship. Yeah. So we're here. God's left us here for a purpose, as we'll see in a little bit. So I would just say to you, first and foremost, prioritize the Word of God, because that is powerful. The Bible says the Word of God, Hebrews tells me this, for is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So in dealing with the world, dealing with Satan, we can be like Jesus. Every time Satan came against him, he said, it is written. And then he quoted scripture, all from the book of Deuteronomy. He didn't, the whole Pentateuch, how many books are in the Pentateuch? Five. And how many books did he have to quote from to defeat, to, to get Satan to leave him? Huh? One. How many stones did David have when he came at the giant? How many stones did it take for him to slay the giant? One. Martin Luther wrote to him, one little word shall fell him. Talking about a mighty fortress is our God. Dealing with the devil. You know, although this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Okay, and so his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, one little word shall fell him. Prioritize the scriptures, get in the Bible, saturate your mind with the word of God. How are we not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. If you don't remember anything on this point that I've said, I'm going to tell you what. The biggest hindrance to your future, and you might picture what that future might be, but I hope you're thinking of it. I mean, all of us would kind of like to have a, a decent future and maybe finish well. Maybe some of you would like to have a family someday, a decent job someday. I mean, just some kind of a life that counts. The biggest hindrance to that future is your failure to listen and your failure to obey. So how do you listen? Paul says, how, how are they going to hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they be sent? But it's when we faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So prioritize the scriptures. Think in terms of scripture. Anything you face, what's a verse for that? It ought to flow out of you. Jesus talked, one of my favorite verses, is out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You just did a study on the Holy Spirit. And, and one verse says, you know, being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual praises. But in Colossians, that same thought, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual praise. In other words, he's equating the word of God with being filled with the spirit. Being filled with the spirit and being filled with the word are very connected and related in scripture. Okay, we don't have time, so I'm going to move on. Prioritize the word of God. And I'm skipping down here to verse... Um, Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded. It's probably up here somewhere. Yeah, be sober in all things, suffer hardship, do the work of an evangelist, okay? Fulfill your ministry. The second thing Paul's saying to Timothy, not only be, give the word of God priority, but don't forget to evangelize. Paul was not an evangelist. He was a pastor. I'm sorry, Timothy was not. So we're not all evangelists, but everyone can do the work of an evangelist. So when you're helping out and thrive, see, my wife, she, she loves me, okay? But sometimes she doesn't like to go to Starbucks with me or Target, partly because I know people and I get stopped and talking to them and she wants to do, okay. And, and people, they come to me because I preach in a number of different churches and and I don't go to their church so they can tell me things they don't dare tell anybody else in their church. And that's kind of interesting. But a lot of it is, who do I have an opportunity to have a conversation with that I might be able to share Jesus with those people? Because we're told to make the most of every opportunity. So when I walk into uh, Starbucks, I'm not like, I got to get that latte or that white chocolate mocha. I'm thinking, God, who's here that you want me to talk to? Who do I know who's a believer that needs encouraging? Who do I know who's lost? You know, this person's going to come up who I met in the church somewhere. Hey, this is my nephew. He's staying with us. I mean, he's got some, having some addiction problem, but, you know, he's here. Like, oh, you know, nice to meet you. And how long does it take to slowly start to minister and preach Jesus to them? Are, we are living epistles, the Bible says, known and read of all men. We're the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. And so he said, Timothy, even though that's not your thing, do it anyway. And that's true to all of us. Might not be, you might find that hard. Just ask God. Say, hey, here's one thing that I've never had a problem with. If I've gotten on an airplane and I've said, Lord, help me to have an opportunity to witness to somebody on this plane. He's never failed to answer that prayer because I'm praying in the will of God. When you pray in terms of scripture, that's when you're really going to see your prayers answered, okay? Not when you're just like consuming it on your own lust and you don't get answers because it's just something you want. But when you line up with what God wants, powerful things happen in prayer. Okay. And the last thing in that verse, verse 5, he says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Make full, uh, see that you fulfill your ministry. Some translations say, fulfill your purpose. And every person's been put here for a purpose. And your purpose might be slightly different than mine. I'm, my purpose right now tonight is to be here at Thrive and share the word of God with you. You may have a different purpose. All through the Bible, there's characters that had all kinds of different purposes. You know? And uh, Miriam, Moses' sister, like sees uh, Pharaoh's daughter fishing 
the basket out of the river. And her purpose at that moment is saying, I know a Hebrew woman that can be a wet nurse to that little baby and nurse him. And just at that right moment, Pharaoh's daughter says, well, go get her. And so they bring Jochebed, Moses' mother. And what does Pharaoh's daughter say? Take this child and nurse it for me. Raise him for me. And I will pay you your wages. Man, she gets to take her own child, who's illegal to have, who was thrown into a river. Was, they were supposed to be drowned in a river, but she put it in an ark that she prepared in faith. And now she gets to raise her own child, nothing she would have wanted to do more, and protected by the government. Because Miriam's purpose at that moment was being fulfilled. Because the purpose is, when we fulfill our purpose, the purposes of God are furthered. He, he can work in spite of us and even without us. But we're the losers in those situations. Say, God, what's your purpose for me today? What's your purpose for my life? I want to I walk in the center of your will. It might lead you to some dangerous places, but I'm still going to tell you the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. That's the safest place to be. All right, there's not a bullet made that can kill you until it's your time. Yeah. It's true. Okay. La uh, last one here. He says at the end, I have fought a good fight. I was up there somewhere. Can we put those verses back up somehow? Maybe? Working on, Working on it. Okay. Verse 7, he says, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. There's a crown laid up for me and not for me only, but it's for all those who love his appearing. Okay? What Paul's saying is, Timothy, he doesn't say this. Timothy, it's just not worth it. I tried to live a Christian life. But... I was beaten. In fact, several times I was beaten with 39 stripes save one. And I was shipwrecked. And I was left for dead. And I spent a night and day in the deep. And Timothy is just not worth it. Forget following Jesus. Just go back to your old life. Is that what he says? No, no he says, I have fought the good fight. There's only one fight, and we're all in it together, right? You might be praying for this message. You might be just invited somebody here. I might be speaking this message, but we're all in this fight together. Paul says he's speaking past tense because he's at the end of his life. He knows he's about to be executed, okay? I have fought the good fight. He says, I've kept the faith, the faith. I have finished my course, I finished the race. And so there's laid up for me now a crown of righteousness. But it's not for me only, Timothy. I'm not the one just with a crown. It's for you also. It's for all those that love is appearing. It's for Emma. It is. It's for everybody here. It's for Will, believe it or not. Okay? I believe it. <laughs> Amen. He wants Timothy, he wants all those coming after him to also experience what he experienced. He's saying, it's worth it all. He's saying, I wouldn't trade jobs or positions with anyone in town. Even though he knows he's about to be executed, it's still worth it. 
Now, I told you, so what do we have so far? Prioritize the word. Don't forget to evangelize. Fulfill your purpose. Keep an eternal perspective. We're in this race. It's almost done. Jesus is coming back. We don't know how much time we have. Our life is at a, as a vapor, a speck of time. It appears for a moment and then vanishes away. We don't boast about tomorrow because we don't know what kind of a day tomorrow will bring forth. Okay. Last of all, verse 9, he says, what do you say in verse 9? Do your best to come to me soon. All right? And then, verse 21. Who's got verse 21? Anybody got a Bible open that can tell me what verse 21 says? Do your best to come before winter. I told you, I promised you, that I was going to give you a verse that you would never read again the same way you have. Because we just read something like, hurry up, do your best to come before winter. Say, oh, well, Paul's talking to Timothy 2,000 years ago. What's that got to do with me? You see how you can feel that way? I'm not saying you do, but I bet some of you do. And so you just read over that and you just, oh, yeah, he said, hurry up, come before winter. And I want to tell you, first of all, there's no verse in Scripture that is a dead letter. That is not there for a purpose, not only for the purpose that God wrote it back in the Old Testament or wherever, but for now. Somebody, skeptic, said to a servant of God, he said, well, what about that verse, you know, the books that I left at Troas bring with you, and especially the scrolls or the parchments. What would it matter if that verse wasn't in the Bible? And this servant of God said, I would have lost a great deal if that verse wasn't in the Bible because he says that's the very verse that kept me from giving up my library, which has been a blessing to me till this day. So what about hurry up and come before winter? Why did Paul say that? Anybody want to take a stab at this? What's that? I've had too many gunshots from shooting guns and my ears are gone. Was it like a paid holiday? No, no, I don't think that's why. Um, winter is, of course, a season. This is the verse we're going to finish with, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's freezing in jail and he wants that coat. I think that possibly one reason. I suggested that already. But I think there's a bigger reason. Is it because Jesus says pray that this doesn't come in winter? Paul, uh, pray, pray, that's Matthew 24. Pray that your flight doesn't come in winter. I don't think that's the reason for this here, but I understand that verse. Okay. I'm going to give you a clue. I'm not going to keep you in suspense too long. How many here have read the book of Acts? Okay. If you read Acts and you got to chapter 27, what happened? Paul was on his way to prison the first time. And they're going to send him to Rome. And they got him in a ship. And they're getting ready to leave this port. And he's saying, if you do this, there's going to be great harm going to come to you and all the cargo of this ship. And the captain's like, some puny little Christian prisoner in there. We don't listen to that guy. He's just like a conservative or something. Okay. Don't pay any attention to him. 
And so they don't listen. In fact, they were, they were starting to not sail because there was a time in the Mediterranean where you could sail. And in the wintertime, they would have these storms and typhoons in the Mediterranean. They still do. And so on those small sailing vessels, if you sailed, you were in danger of losing your ship and all your cargo. So people in the fall would stop and they would keep their ship in port until spring and then they would go, right? But those sailors in Acts 27 said, oh, well, there's a warm wind. Let's, let's go ahead and go. And Paul said, don't do that. They did it anyway, and they have all these storms. And they're out there in the deep, and they haven't seen the sun or moon or stars for many days, and the boat's bobbing around like a cork, and they're throwing the cargo overboard, and all hope seems to be lost. And in the middle of that, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Paul stands up in the middle of it all and says, Sirs, I believe God. I want to be one of those kind of people. Oh, it's all doom and gloom, and Thrive is just withering, and not many people are coming. Who's going to be the guy? Sirs, I believe God. You know, whatever the situation is, however bad and you know drab it might look, I want to be one of those guys. I believe God. How did we say we overcome the world? John five. This is the victory wherewith you overcome the world, even our faith. Our faith and confidence in what Jesus did on the cross for us—that He paid it all. Satan comes along. I don't think you're a Christian. I say. Look at the cross. That's how much God loves me. That's what kind of a price he paid. And he told me, whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And I believed in him, so I'm confident in the word of God. Okay? So, uh, you know, it says, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment or condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. God told the Israelites, put the blood on the door, Passover. And then he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I want to tell you something. The blood on that door made them safe, but the word of God made them sure. And when you're trusting in faith, you know, you can stand up in any situation and say, I believe God. You can look to the cross and say, far as my salvation is concerned, but I may be in a home that's messed up and there's problems and things don't look good. And, you know, someday I'd, I'd like to get married, but I'm kind of awkward and I don't know if God would ever have anything good for me. Stop that. Believe God. Trust God. He's bigger than anything you might face. And as for God, his way and his timing is perfect. It's better to be single than to wish you were. But stop trying to find the right one and start becoming the right one. Because if you find the right one before you become the right one, you're just going to mess that person's life up big time. You're going to screw their life up and yours. So say, okay, God, I'm not going to look for the right one. I just want to be what you want me to be. Help me to get into your word. Help me to grow as a Christian. Okay? So, back to come before winter. If those ships didn't sit, they would be stuck in port. So Paul knows that he's about to be beheaded for the gospel. And if Timothy doesn't come before winter, he's going to be stuck and probably miss the opportunity to come to Paul before he dies. And that's why in verse 9, it's not the idea, well, hey, Will, you know, sometime if you get around to it and want to have coffee 
and I've got a little time, we'll get together and have coffee. Hey, I, I haven't seen you for a while, but now we've just run into each other. And someday, let's get some coffee together. You think that's a good idea? And we'll say, yeah, let's do it. And how, how quick do you think we're going to have coffee? Probably never. All right. That's not what he's saying. He said, Timothy, come quickly. It's an exhortation very strong in the Greek. Get here as quick as you can. And make sure you don't wait till winter. Because if you wait till winter, I, you, I won't be here. He didn't say that, but I believe that's the reason. So I'm going to surmise something. This is very uncharacteristic for me because I don't like to do this, but I think I'm being led to do this to make the point. Timothy gets the message, come before winter, come quickly. He says, yeah, I got to get up there to see Paul. But I got to do a little bit more work here in this church at Ephesus. And there, there's things that I need to help these people with. And we've got another thing planned, and there's this thing planned. So I know there's four ships in the harbor, and I know one of them sailing tomorrow, but there'll be another one. And that ship sails. And time goes on a little farther, and he says, I know that other ship's going to be leaving too, but there's, there's a third one. And then there's, the third one is there, and he's like, I've got to catch that ship, but oh, I still have to do these couple more things. And I know Paul sent me this letter and he says, hurry up and make sure you come before winter. Get here as quick as you can. But there's another ship. And then he finally gets done what he needs to and he goes down to the ship and the captain says, I've sent all the sailors home. It's past the time to sail. Winter's coming. We're not leaving until spring. And so Timothy goes back and he's worried about Paul. And all of a sudden, you know, as time goes by, weeks, months, finally springtime comes. And now the sailors show up. And that first ship is going to leave port in the spring. And Timothy's on it. And he's now going to Rome. And he gets up there and he looks up some of the people that Romans 16 has a whole list of all these folks that Paul knew that were his buddies and friends that sent their greetings from Rome, or he sends his greetings to that are in Rome when he's writing the book of Romans. And Timothy looks them up and he says, hey, hey, hey uh, Lioness, Putins, you guys, where's Paul? And uh, they say to him, well, hey, uh, didn't you hear? They took him out by, by the Athian Way several months ago. And they chopped his head off and it rolled into a basket. And he was immediately absent from the body and present with the Lord. But before that time, he kept asking for you. He kept saying, is Timothy here yet? Is Timothy coming? When's Timothy going to get here? But Timothy never showed because there's always... Get this, there's always another ship. And if you want to run away from God to Tarshish like Jonah, you'll go down to Joppa and what, what, do, you, what do you know? There's a ship waiting to take you there. Because the devil's got his ships too. There's always another ship. And so where I want to finish with this message about coming before winter. Now we could look at it a number of ways. 
when you were a little, your little brother who's 10 years old, he's in the spring of his life. And you get into your 20s like you guys are, man, you're in the summer of your life. Trust me, if you're like in your 50s, you're already, and more, you're in the fall of your life. And if you're like 75 or 80, you're like in winter, it's cold. You need to sit in your wheelchair with a blanket around you and wait for the rapture or to die, one of the two. So we look at it that way. Winter is always coming. But I would say this too, that life passes you by. And when you say, when God says to you, do it now. Because God's time is always now. He says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like your fathers did in the day of provocation, the Hebrew writer says. Okay? Because God's time is always now. The road to tomorrow leads to the town of never. And your ship will sail. So I want to look at it in three ways and then we'll close. The first one is, I'll say, in view of coming before winter, seize the moment. Seize the moment. Sometimes opportunity only knocks once. I had an opportunity, I'm not bragging, okay, but I was working in a partnership with somebody and an opportunity came to do something and I stepped out in faith and did it because I felt it was something that God wanted me to do. I made a million dollars, okay? Don't have that million dollars with me today. It's not in my back pocket. Spend it all, mostly, but okay. But it happened. I can honestly, you come to me, I'll tell you the story. It's true. And if I didn't seize that, when it happened, I wouldn't have had it. And it's good to give away more money than you keep. Just say that. So when the moment comes and you have an opportunity to witness to somebody, a friend, a relative, a loved one, don't wait for another ship. Do it before winter because winter's coming. Seize those moments. I'm glad as a young man I had an opportunity. The company I work for says, we'll give you a raise. I already had a company car. I had a lot of benefits. They said, We'll promote you if you stay. And I walked away from that job to go down to the Portland, streets of Portland, Oregon, to the Portland Rescue Mission and share the gospel with people and run a discipleship program. Say, so you want to be down there with all the street people and homeless people? Good grief, we live in Gig Harbor. Wild horses couldn't have kept me from doing it. When God puts something on your heart, you'd rather do that than anything else. But you've got to seize the moment because we already said the thing that's hindering your future is a lack of hearing and a lack of obeying. Okay? Second thing I would say, come before winter, restore and strengthen relationships. Don't wait for that person to move away or die on you. Because you think all my friends are going to be around forever. By the time I was 30, a number of people in my close friendship uh, circle were dead from various things, car accidents, other stuff. So we never know when we're going to be able to go to a mom or a dad or a 
somebody that we, some girlfriend that we didn't treat properly or guy that we didn't treat properly or some friend that we um, unfriended. Okay, and there's a barrier between me and some Christian or there's some person in the world that I didn't act in a proper way and now my testimony is suffering unless I go and restore and strengthen that relationship. And you guys know who that is. And you know who the Holy Spirit's talking to here better than I do. But there's somebody here that needs to go and fix something and strengthen and restore a relationship before winter comes. My dad, when he was dying, called all of his sons to his deathbed. And I thought, well, what, what's he going to tell us? What words of wisdom? He didn't want to tell me anything new. He just wanted to make sure there was nothing between any of us or him before he went home. And if you've got a grudge against somebody or something, go to the Lord about it. And then ask him for the grace, because it's going to take that, to go to that person and restore that relationship. And do it before winter. Do it quickly. And last of all, not only seize the moment and restore and strengthen relationships, but, but last of all, get right with God. And I think this particularly, first of all, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, get right with God. But I also think that particularly at this phase of your life, because I want to tell you, I've sat in seats just like these with people, and 10 years later, there's no evidence that they ever even knew Jesus. But they sang the songs, and they participated in the Bible studies. And so if you are going to build a foundation, if you are going to build something that is going to withstand the storms of life, and you're going to actually win the victory that overcomes the world, you're going to have to strengthen your faith to do it. And as you fortify your life by becoming more like Jesus, by allowing the word of God to dwell in you richly, allowing Jesus to live out of your life and out of your innermost being now that you're saturated with the word of God flows rivers of living water that are a blessing and refreshment to everybody. The time to do it isn't, well, Tim, when I get to be 67 years old like you are, Maybe then I'll pick up my Bible, but right now I'm just too busy and I'm having too much fun. You'll be swept away. And the current of this world and everything that's coming on this nation and on this land and the storms of life that hit you, you don't have any foundation. You're not fortified to deal with that. You'll be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the winds came and blew, and the rains descended, and they beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. But the wise man built his house upon the rock. What was the rock? And when the storms came, it stood. If you remember what the rock was, Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken. So you had to hear, and you had to obey. And it will assure 
a great future. A future for God. A future that's fruitful. A future that's joyful. A future that's productive for the glory of Jesus. Because it's worth it. I'm 67 years old. I'm still fighting the fight. I'm not done yet like Paul. Like it's all past tense. There's still a little bit more left in the tank. Okay? But one day, I want to be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And I, there's a reward laid up for me. And you thrive people. I want you to have that reward too. So come before winter. Get your life fortified. Get it right. Become the man and woman God wants you to be. Become the right person so God can bring the right person into your life. But greater than that so Jesus Christ can be glorified. And there's nothing more attractive to that than that in a true Christian who's walking with the Lord. And people are going to look at you and say, I want some of that. You try to be like the world and like, we got plenty of that. And you don't do as good of a job as we do trying to act like us. So stop it. All right. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Bless it. Use it for the glory of Christ, I pray. And Lord, people here that you're talking to about relationships that need to be restored, places where apologies need to be made, or even going to somebody that they went to five or ten years ago and said, I'm sorry, but the relationship still isn't healed, that they would come back again because, God, you're long-suffering, you're patient, and say, I just want everything to be right with us. Lord, I thank you, first of all, that we need to have our relationship right with you. We need to get right with God. But, Lord, help us to have, in view of that, relationships that are right with one another. So, Lord, help us to seize the opportunities, make the most of them, and help us to prioritize your word, to remember to evangelize, to fulfill our purpose, and to keep an eternal perspective. I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us to be the person we will wish we had been when we stand before you. In Jesus' name, amen.